0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com statcast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers. We have an entire show dedicated to the major news of the day. Uh, Wilma Flores gets a two year deal from the San Francisco Giants. I have to say I was actually kind of shocked he got multiple years. Good for Wilmer. Good
1: good for Wilmer. Uh, you but, must be talking about the Jack Peterson's <laughs> Angels trade. Yes, what you're
0: talking about. Uh, that is exactly. No, Mike Dunn retired yesterday. Congrats on a great career. Um, Mookie Betts actually got traded. I guess I had talked myself to thinking this wasn't actually going to happen because the spring training is like a week away. And then not only did he get traded, uh, so did David Price. And then the Twins were involved. And then also the Angels were involved in a trade we don't actually know the full specifics of, and I have to say, uh, I wouldn't say this if I was a Red Sox fan, which I'm not. Last night was one of the more enjoyable baseball Twitter nights we've had in a while, where everybody's like, wait, what teams? Wait, who's involved? Like, oh my God, Mookie Betts has traded. And uh, I I guess we have to be more in-depth in our analysis than wow. But I also just kind of feel like, wow. (laughs) It was stunning, despite
1: the fact that it had sort of been telegraphed. You know, like earlier in the week when when Ken Rosenthal said, the Mookie trade is a matter of when, not if. That was sort of like when I hit home. I was like, "Okay, well, you know, Rosenthal is uh, extremely credible in these in these, in these type in these types of things." And I thought, "Well, that, well, I guess this really is going to happen after all." So at that point, it just seemed kind of inevitable. Um, and we're going to run down all the teams basically that were like affected by this in basically yeah. any way, um,
0: of which there's like nine.
1: <laughs> yeah. You could go beyond that if you really, if you really want to get. How it, did we- this affect the Tigers? <laughs> <laughs> um, but
0: let uh, me just start with 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 Mookie Betts himself. He's he's good. He's <laughs> very good. Uh, I, like you don't need us to tell you that Mookie Betts is great. Uh, but there's you know there's a couple of interesting things going on here. I thought it was interesting. Uh, ben Lindbergh wrote at the Ringer that no one this young and this good has ever been traded before. They you know, looked at the highest combined wins above replacement totals uh, in the two seasons preceding a trade for players who were 28 or younger. Mookie Betts was first ahead of Jimmy Fox in 1935 and A Rod in 2003. Um, Matt and I had an idea this morning of looking at teams who were as good as the Dodgers were. The Dodgers just won 106 games. It's the highest win total in the history of their franchise, uh, dating back to the 19th century, trading for a player this good. And uh, I went back to 1969, which was the beginning of the divisional play era. And I looked at all the teams that had won at least 105 games, which there were 11. And I tried to find uh, which players they had acquired with the highest wins above replacement the previous season. I was surprised to find... Mookie was third. Number one wasn't super surprising to me, right? Uh, Roger Clemens got traded to the Yankees, who had just been the 1998 Yankees after winning two Cy Youngs in Toronto. So that was uh, an 8.2 win season. And this one I'd totally forgotten about. The 98-99 Braves traded for, excuse me, signed for Brian Jordan, who had just put up a 6.6 win season depending on how much stock you put into the defensive metrics at the time. And then Mookie bets, So it's like, it's then, almost unprecedented. And then, those
1: guys and were older. And also, Brian Jordan the year before had an injury-riddled injury yeah. season in which he posted a 580 OPS. And even the year before that, actually, 1996, um, which I'm now surprised to see, Brian Jordan finished 8th in N L M V P voting. pretty good. Of like course, he, I mean, he had 310, 349, 483 that year. Yeah. So. That was more of like a soft
0: factors thing. He was a good player. He was not He's not Mookie, Betts. He's not Mookie and, Betts. And Roger Clemens is arguably the best pitcher of all time. But at that time, he was already 36 years old. So I don't think you can say this is 100% unprecedented. But if you're factoring in the youth, uh, it kind of is. Like these guys don't get traded. Mookie Betts, uh, if, you know, traditional stats, advanced stats, stat guess metrics, whatever you want, he's fantastic. Uh, last year, he had 88th percentile hard hit. Remember, this was like a down year for him. You can't see my giant air quotes here but it was a down year for him after the year before 97th percentile uh, an expected weighted on base. And obviously he's a phenomenal defender. If you go back to the last four seasons from 2016 to 2019, he is fourth in outfield outs above average, uh, only behind Ender and Sierra Lorenzo Cain and Billy Hamilton. He is, there's nothing bad you can say about him. And even last year's like quote unquote down year was sort of just a slow start. You look at the end of the season from July one to the end of the year, he had a line of 335, 403. 6 7 with his usual tremendous defense that'll play and you know he's only under contract for one more year he's made it pretty clear he's going to go to free agency um, if you've been following the baseball world at all today you know there's lots of yelling about whether the Red Sox could or should have paid him uh, they probably should have tried harder but also I think he was going to free agency no matter what we'll get to the Red Sox in a second I guess but um, is this good or bad for baseball this is my question it's bad for the Red Sox but I, I think it's like I said a couple weeks ago on the show, I didn't want all of these guys, like Lindor and Arenado and Bryant and Best, to all get traded. But I wanted at least one of them to, and now we got that one. And I don't know. I've had a lot of fun the last twenty four hours. I
1: think I, I think it's interesting it's I mean this this season was already shaping up as a really exciting one because of the fallout of everything that's up with the Astros yeah. and the intensity that was going to follow their season, like the the drama that's going to follow their season. And now you have the Dodgers, who I mean, in many ways, like the season was kind of set up for the narrative. For them this season is like the team that essentially like you could argue was affected most by the, the, the potential the astros um scheming illegal sign stealing cost them a world series and they the two they lost the world series two straight years a so team one who has been penalized for illegal science dealing one who's still being investigated for legal science stealing. There there's a strong narrative of like okay like to me it was like this is like setting up to be the dodgers year. they have not for all their dominance they have not won the world series since 1988 and I kind of love how this all winds up from like a, a story, a story standpoint, but I'll, I'll kind of put it back on you because, you know, a few weeks ago, you wrote a very measured and I will say smart take, which you said basically like, Hey, everyone's freaking out about the Dodgers having not done anything this off season. That's because they don't need to, they're going to run away with this division anyway. So like they can wait till July and see which, how much pitching they actually need to go get. If they need to fill in for an injury, no need to do, to follow the more of the Manny Machado, strategy yeah you that, darvish like, yeah. yeah but here they are they're going out to
0: get bets what What do you think i mean it's a weird thing to say that they traded for uh the second best player in baseball and a guy who's pretty clearly on a hall of fame trajectory and it doesn't matter for the next six months you know what i mean like they were pretty clearly the favorite in the west and this increases their i don't know division odds there's no odds posted yet so i'm just kind of spitballing you from i don't know 92% to 93.5% or something like that. Like, he's great, but there's only so much room to improve. And uh, it appears with this Angels trade, they have lost Jock Peterson, who uh, I think was an underrated player, you know, because he's a platoon guy. He can't hit lefties. His batting average is low, but he's been like a three-win player. He's like as much
1: of a platoon player as exists yes. in the modern game. But he's like, as, as long as you like, don't let him hit against lefties, he's a good player.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it all comes down to what happens in October. And I think it also partially comes down to, if they get to October and it doesn't happen, which could easily happen, October is weird. It's you can't look back now and say, "Well, they didn't try hard enough." Like they got mookie bets, you know. Uh, it's it's weird. Like you have here that they have already projected to have the most wins above replacement uh, than any other NL team. Now they're almost nine wins above the next NL team. Which, wait a minute, the Mets? The Mets are second. That I mean, actually is going to be weird this year.
1: It's it's um, yeah. They the Mets are second. Um... Just ahead of the Nats, yeah. um, and like the Mets and Nats are like kind of neck and neck in projections right now, and the Braves are like a, l- a couple wins behind them currently. Again, I, I, I these, disagree with all that. I'm pretty out on the Nationals.
0: They lost Rendon, and their whole like we're gonna ride old guys doesn't seem like it's a repeatable thing.
1: Um, but I mean, the point is that like there's the anything less than the Dodgers basically having home field through the National
0: League playoffs is. Is it, would be not would be a surprise, be a surprise well, at this point. That's the thing is like you know they're so talented it won't matter, right? But the expectations are that they're going to win 138 games, right, and go undefeated through the playoffs. And I don't know how you live up to that. I mean, you you win it all, I guess, right? But you go out there and you win the whole damn thing. Well, <laughs> I guess you even a
1: couple years ago this happened with with the Astros and Cole, where the Astros had just won the World Series yeah. and 100, where well, they won 102 games, and then they went out and they got a Garrett Cole. I guess it wasn't quite Garrett Cole at that. point. "Quote unquote," yeah. Garrett Cole at that point, but they, you know, they basically equal that. I guess the Yankees, in the '99, are a better example their win total went down after adding Clemens. Of course, they still won the World Series, so no
0: one. Yeah. Clemens no one really- wasn't actually very good that year either. <laughs> no, um, but um, so we're we're gonna rank all the teams basically, right? Like who's who gets affected by this from a, let's say positive to negative? Uh, would you agree the Dodgers are number one on this list? They they made this trade, um, and I, we'll get to Verdugo, you know, and, and obviously Kent Maeda. Those are good players, but. They made the trade for Mookie Betts, and they did not trade any of their top prospects. You mm-hmm. could account Verdugo as a prospect, I guess, but Lux, May, Ruiz, Gonsolin—they're they're all still there. Like, for, Andrew Freeman's kind of a wizard for sure. I guess I'm,
1: you can argue the flip side that almost like sometimes leaving someone a prospect though kind of almost well, overrates agree. their like their shiny their shiny new tournament. because sure. like Verdugo Verdugo has one year of service time and like he's a good player. I mean, there's there's some some reasons to think that like his ceiling is kind of limited, but. You know, a year ago he was a top twenty prospect. Now he's proven he could perform in the major leagues. I'd argue that is more valuable than you know a guy in the minors who hasn't hasn't shown any ability to, to perform in the major leagues.
0: Yeah, I think we've have, uh, <clears throat> we haven't even mentioned the name David Price yet, who seems like he's also kind of a big deal. I know he's he's seen as like the Robinson Cano esque salary dump, but that sort of undersells him a little bit. I was shocked when I looked this up. Last year David Price had a career best strikeout rate. I, I couldn't believe it. More than 10 for nine, 28%. Because um, I, I guess I just kind of eyeballed him as like, oh, he was hurt. You know, only threw 107 innings. He had an elbow thing. Uh, he had a wrist thing. He's not an ace. You know, he's not like that guy they thought they were signing. But he's like a three or four starter or, you know, someone you kind of deploy as needed because you're going to be up by 75 games all year. Like this is not a – it's not a salary dump. Like this is not the Zach kozar or Homer Bailey where you just cut him.
1: Also, and I mean, he's – he, the the Red Sox are reportedly going to pay basically half of the the 96 yeah. million left on his deal. So you're basically getting price for three for 48 million. If David Price was a free agent this year, he probably would have gotten more than that. And if if it was if if nothing else would have been like comparable comparable to that. I mean, coming an injury, who no, but like David Price right now at three forty eight, it's like okay, that's like
0: that, so that's a good question. Uh, Keiko just got what three for 55 something like that. Yeah. Uh, would you take that or would you take price for three and 48? It's, it's close, without, I it's close enough, to, right? to,
1: to really, to really look, look too, too deeply at it. I mean, what it comes down to is, and what's going to come down to for a lot of people sort of, sort of unfortunately is basically like if they won the world series and like boogie Betts could have like a random slump in October. And that's kind of what people will remember. That's what's weird about this, at least with the pitcher when you like acquire an ace, you know, like with the, Yan- the Yankees, obviously they went and spent a ton on Garrett Cole But I was like, okay, we don't really have this guy. And, like, in a postseason, an ace really can make, like, a difference in a way that a position player can't. So it's sort of like if, you know, Betts just has a slump. You know, in the 2010 World Series, Josh Hamilton, the AL MVP that year, went two for 20, you know? Rangers lost. Like, that happens. And then it's like the narrative of Mookie Betts is going to be like, this guy failed in L.A., they didn't win the title. That's
0: the worst part. They could win 120 games next year and then uh, eight more in the first two rounds of the playoffs. And then if they don't win four the next seven, like we've put such importance on those games as opposed to like seven months of baseball before that. Um, there's also another part of this for the Dodgers. So there's this trade pending with the Angels that we still don't know all of. Supposedly, Jock Peterson's going to the Angels. Ross Stripling's going to the Angels. And uh, there are minor leaguers involved. We don't, again, don't know everything, but they're going to get back Luis Rangifo, who um, I'd, didn't really know much about it. This is the third time he's been traded, apparently. It was with the uh, Mariners, and then he went to the Rays, and then the Angels, and now the Dodgers. Um, I'm not sure. Again, I don't know the details, all of it. Uh, I don't like this for the Dodgers, kind of at all. Peterson, you know, is a platoon player, but now AJ Pollock is going to be your left fielder. That seems like a pretty clear platoon opportunity to me. Ross Stripling, you uh, know, we'll get into him more with the Angels, but he's been an incredibly valuable swingman. The Dodgers are not. I mean, they've got depth, right? But you could always use a guy like that, and for a Gifo and whoever else is coming back. It's not going to be Joe Dell. <laughs> like,
1: I, think, I mean, that's a good point. The, the Dodgers' part of their strength the last few years has just been depth, and they in, in making these trades, they definitely have have chipped away at that, especially in the pitching side. Like, we haven't even talked about Kentamaeda, like Maeda, who's been a valuable swingman for them, being like a, like a, a reliable starter during the season, and then the last three years in the postseason, he switched to the bullpen and been lights awesome. out. <laughs> He's been great. So the fact that the Dodgers have yeah. kind of, like, losing Stripling, losing Maeda, losing Peterson, who, again, they've managed to deploy effectively by never letting him hit <laughs> <head> against lefties, <laughs> yeah. these, um, that's it, – it, it chips away at their depth. In fact, if you had to ask me, are they going to win – more or less than 106 games this year, I would say less.
0: You have to say less. No, you can't project a team to win 106. Exactly,
1: games. and that's kind of what's that's sort of what's 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 crazy about this trade. That's it, I
0: still expect them to win the uh, win the NOS going away. I, I think the other part of this, um, it's probably going to be, you know, they're taking on money, right? And I think trading Peterson and Stripling will allow them to like dip just below that next like CBT thing, which is like annoying. Nobody should care about that, but it also might position them. Uh, Better in July to make the trades that they need. Then, like we've seen them do that in the middle of the season. Oh, for sure. And what's interesting, I actually looked because I was I I looked today of like,
1: oh, who are the who are the top starting pitchers we're going to hit free agency next offseason? Thinking like, okay, who are going to be the guys? And it was all pitchers who are on presumed contenders. So it's actually like guys who you know it's hard to see them necessarily moving. Obviously, that could change. You know, you know, Jose Quintana, Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman. Like those teams could go in a few different directions. So maybe those guys do become available. But right now, you look at them and you're like, well, these aren't these aren't the guys. Or Robbie Ray, another example. Like those are the guys that don't normally get traded. The guys, the, the starting pitchers on contenders. So th- it'll be interesting to see how the season develops. Who are the pitchers that become available as as rentals for teams like the Dodgers?
0: Yeah. So the Dodgers are the clear winners. Um, They're going to be overwhelming favorites. They might be so good that the Rockies could actually win 94 games and finish 22 games out of first place, <laughs> which feels unfair. All right. The second team on our list, who is the second biggest winner, It's not a team that had anything to do with any of this. The Tampa Bay Rays must be absolutely stoked about this. They are probably sending their old friend Haim Bloom like flowers and saying, Hey, you got Mookie Betts out of our division and our league. Thank you. I mean, the, the tentacles of the Rays all over baseball
1: now. It's crazy. This week, you had James Click get yeah. hired as the new GM of the Astros. You have Haim Bloom now in Boston. And oh, Andrew Friedman, let's not forget, started. In Tampa Bay, so um, yeah, the Rays, the, the Rays are, are clear winners. It looked like a three-team sort of a three-team race in the AL East with the Red Sox, Rays, and um, Yankees. Yankees. Well, I think the Red Sox will be better than people are going to give them going to give them the credit for. We'll get that get to that in a minute or uh, a little later. The Rays are clearly now the number two team in that division and could challenge the Yankees and also have a very clear path back to winning a wild card
0: spot. I think this might not be true for listeners of this podcast, but I think in the larger baseball world, people don't understand how good the Tampa Bay pitching is. Right. Like if you, if you pay attention to us, you know, Nick Anderson rules and you know, Chaz row and you know, Colin Poche. Uh, but those are guys I don't think everybody knows about. And then like, if Glasnow is healthy and Snell is better and Morton, like they might not have used the opener that much this year. They might just actually have like a legitimately good pitching set. So this is a big win, um, for Tampa Bay. The third biggest winner I think is, is the angels. Um, Again, not knowing the details of this deal, but it sounds like anything else they might give up will come from the minors and not their major league team. The Angels had made one of the biggest splashes of the winter when they signed uh, Rendon, but it's pretty disappointing. Like their pitching staff, uh, especially the rotation, was a, a huge minus last year. And they, you know, added uh, Dylan Bundy, which is fine, and they added Julio Tehran, which is fine. But it never seemed to me like they had enough pitching. They're still uh, a ways back beyond the Astros and, and probably Oakland if they add Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling, like those are two really valuable players. All of a sudden, I'm not saying they're the favorites or anything, but um, I think much more highly about this team than I did uh, a day ago, if this is actually what happens.
1: Definitely. I, I give them a lot of credit for sort of still trying to kind of GM uh, Billy Eppler, who I think is cut up at the end of this year, hasn't been able to get to the playoffs with Trout. Um, so I think I don't even think he was the GM in 2014 when they went to the, the playoffs. I don't think so. Um, so this is kind of like an now or never, especially after signing Rendon, they have Otani back fully healthy he's going to be available to to pitch although adding stripling, again they they don't really have a clear ace but they they're adding enough pitching depth that like th- that a they don't need to necessarily rely on otani as much and b if they i still can easily foresee a situation in which they sort of say like you know what the pitching's not worth it he's too good of a hitter um let's just like let's let's let him hit and not worry about the injury factor there that they could actually still be um a contender with otani as a uh, offense only player. I mean, I'm looking now again. The, these, these are projections. Grain of salt. Yada yada yada. In the American League right now, the the, fa- the Fangraphs projections have have them like basically tied for third with the Twins behind the Astros and Yankees. So like, there's there's some some real optimism around around the the Angels right now.
0: I don't think enough people really? realize how good Ross Stripling has been for the Dodgers. He's always been this kind of you know six starter swingman type. Uh, over the last two years, he has a three twenty two ERA and a nearly six to one strikeout to walk ratio. However, this is far more interesting. Over the last three seasons, uh, I looked at every pitcher who has faced at least one thousand batters, of which there have been one hundred and sixty, and I looked at the lowest expected weighted on base, so that accounts for quality of contact and amount of contact. The top five names, six names on this list, are exactly the studs you would think: Scherzer, Degrom, Sale, Verlander, Bueller. No Syndergaard. The eighth name is Corey Kluber. The seventh name is Rush Stripling. He has been uh, elite at, at limiting hard contact. He gets enough strikeouts. He doesn't walk anybody at all. Um, this is a guy who's incredibly valuable, and he can do so many different things. He could be your fill-in closer if you wanted him to. He can start. He can relieve. The The Angels desperately need a guy like
1: that. And long-time listeners of the podcast remember him
0: as a guest. At that's maybe right. In season, maybe season one. That was a while ago. Hey, we just passed 200 shows, right? This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is 201. 201. Yeah, uh, that's true. And then also Jack Peterson. Um, I think people underrate him a little bit because his batting average is low 249 last year, 233 in his career. Uh, but he pounds the ball when he hits it. 36 homers last year, and in nearly 2,400 major league plate appearances, a 120 weighted runs created plus. He's been 20% above average. As Matt alluded to, he absolutely cannot hit left-handed pitching. He is incapable of it. Uh, his weighted runs created plus split for his career is actually pretty entertaining. 131 against righties, it's very good, 57 against lefties. Um, I would encourage people not to be misled by his negative four outs above average trading last year. It was plus three in right field. It was fine. Uh, Minus six at first base in just 149 innings. I remember watching a couple of those games. They are rated R. (laughs) You don't want that. (laughs) Um, I actually like him. The
1: the most interesting free agent out there right now is still Yasiel Puig. And while he might want a, a clear starting job somewhere, um, he'd be a really nice fit on this roster as sort of a platoon partner with, uh, as a platoon partner with uh, Peterson and just depth for a team that's probably going to compete because they're, they don't feel depth is kind of weak behind that. They still have Brian
0: Goodwin, but he's a left-handed hitter. But he has had, even through his minor league career, these weird reverse splits. I, guess I like Brian. And you, you assume Joe Adele's up in like May or something? But that's a good, that's, that's high, high class problem. I, well, right.
1: I actually think Puig is the perfect fit on the Red Sox, who have three left-handed hitting outfielders. Your uh, reverse splits be damned. But uh, anyway, the Angels are super interesting. Um,
0: and this may actually be the, the the team that gets Mike Trout back to the playoffs? I, I hope so. I mean, they got to do it at some point. All right. So that is the Angels. We are going to go to our number four team. One of the teams uh, that was also involved in this trade, the Twins. And this was, I think, really interesting because uh, they acquired Kenta Maeda and they traded away a very highly regarded prospect, uh, Bruce Star Gratterall. And I'm 90 percent sure I said that properly. He is he's uh, a flame-throwing young right handed pitcher, got up to like one hundred and three last year, you know, had potentially was going to be a starter. But now it sounds like they're going to make him a reliever because he doesn't really have a third pitch and he's never stayed healthy. I think Twins fans are a little not upset, but uh, they the Twins don't develop guys like that. They never have. And then you finally have one and then they trade him along. Um But it's it's a move that's clearly about we need a, a starting pitcher right now. And Gretel is not that guy. Exactly.
1: And as noted before, Maeda gives them sort of this versatility because they're now, you know, well-situated to get back to the playoffs. He could start for you. He's shown – you know, not every pitcher adjusts seamlessly to a bullpen role in the in the postseason, even though a lot of guys – people try it every year. Maeda's shown he could do it. So the Twins – who's still had a weakness in the pitching staff and the starting pitching front know that they've got this guy, Maeda. He's reliable. He's got that interesting contract. He signed through twenty twenty three. The base is really low, but there's a ton of incentives. And like it's still, but it's still like it's It's interesting. Is one way to
0: put it. It seems like it's really made him unhappy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's it's definitely something that's like not gonna. It's very manageable for any team trying to carry any payroll. This is actually one of my favorite moments on baseball Twitter last night because you had at one point people were trying to figure out who's the third team, who's the third team. And at basically the exact same moment as like, I think John Heyman and Jeff Pattinson were saying the twins are the third team. Ken Rosenthal was separately reporting, Jack Peterson's going to the angels. And other people people realize like, wait, there's conflicting information. It's like, a four-way trade, is somebody wrong? So there was, like was, was a separate trade basically. Um, so maybe is a, a, a sneaky good acquisition uh, for the for the twins. Yeah,
0: Maeda, uh elite at avoiding hard hit as well. 28.8% hard hit rate last year. That is 95th percentile. Um, and as Matt said, in the bullpen in the postseason, he has been fantastic. This is really going to hurt the Dodgers. Their bullpen is still not strong, and they're going to miss a guy like this. Uh, in 22 career relief appearances in the postseason, Maeda has 27 strikeouts. It's really good. He's really good against righty hitters. He's okay against lefties. Um, but, the you know, the Twins missed out on that ace they needed. So now their rotation is something like uh, Jose Barrios, Jake Goderizzi, Maeda, Homer Bailey, uh, the three headed monster of Randy Dobnak and Lewis Thorpe and Devin Smeltzer and eventually Rich Hill. Is that good enough? I don't know, but they're pretty clearly the favorites in the central to me. Like, yeah, the White Sox have been fun uh, the Indians haven't done much. Uh, go twins. Go, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That,
1: I mean, that kind of, that kind of uh, brings us to our next team, the, the Indians who are sort of just kind of sitting out there. Well, they haven't really done much. They're still good enough to compete. They
0: still have high end talent, but I'm, I will say this. I am in on Jose Ramirez bouncing back. I really, yeah, I think he's going to have a great year. He already bounced back. I mean, well, he bounced back for like a couple weeks.
1: He may got hurt in the middle of that too. I guess. But we already saw that like, it's not, it's not like he lost his His, his ability to be a, a superstar player disappeared. We basically, he came, he sort of reestablished himself. It was more than a couple weeks that he just reestablished that. Like, Hey, I'm still really good. He and Lindor, obviously an impressive duo. Clevenger, Star Horse Lion Candidate Bieber is really good. Yeah,
0: but it's Well, can we, let's galaxy brain the reason we don't know the uh, full uh, particulars of the Angels Dodgers trade yet because the Dodgers are trying to get the prospects from the Angels that the Indians are going to want from the door. <laughs> Life is a video game,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not. Yeah, so the I mean the the Twins it's they they are now clearly the, the favorites in that division. Um, obviously, I, I'd say it's probably they're still the Indians are still within the margin of error and maybe even the the. the, the the White Sox, that it's like it's still, it'll be interesting, it's a race, but the lack of any sort of interesting upgrades by the twins. Yeah. I mean, the Indians, I guess they did, you know, they added, um, wrote, yeah, but they gave up Kluber in the process. I mean, they, they could end up being they, they made they may have done a nice job of basically selling Kluber before it's too sure. late, but
0: sure. I mean, I can't really wait to see, thing. I can't wait to see hand and class a and James Karachak. You know, I love some James Karachak, but the outfield is still lousy and it's been lousy for like three years. They should just bring Puig back, that would be a perfect fit. Um, I think we're kind of like to the tipping point of our, like, who's been helped and hurt list. And now we're on the bottom part of this, uh, the Padres and also the Diamondbacks, the Padres were, rumored to be the other team very much in on lucky bets. And, um, now it's, I mean, it was hard for me to see them topping the Dodgers anyway, but now it's, it's really hard. This has to be viewed, I think as a huge disappointment for them. Yes. With I mean, a sil- with a silver lining, but
1: go ahead. Even if they had gotten bets, this it was, was the silver lining. It was still going to be hard for them right. to catch, to catch the Dodgers. That said, they were hoping to compete for a wild card. So now like they play the Dodgers 19 times. Any game against the Dodgers just got that much harder. So like seriously, serious, if you were like, you know, you're trying to compete to get the 87, 88, 89 wins. And it's good. There's going to be like six teams in that mix. You know, most of the NL East, most of the NL central, probably you and the D backs. Um, the Rockies think they're going to be in it. Every win matters. So basically you were like, okay, we got 19 games against the Dodgers we hope we can go nine and 10 against the Dodgers. If we can go nine against the Dodgers, that's like a huge win. Now you just had Mookie Betts. This team, you know, looks just that much better on paper. It's like, okay, now it's going to be hard to go even eight and 11 or seven and 12. And like that, those add up. So for, like, for the D-backs and Padres in particular, being in that division, it just like makes it that much more daunting to have to compete with the, um, the teams in the other divisions who
0: don't have to face a super team Correct. like this 19. Games. Well, I agree with everything you said, but you also, you can't wait for the Dodgers to stop being good because that might <laughs> never happen, you know? Um, but you're right. If you look at the NL, there's really only two teams I can look at right now and so you've got no shot whatsoever. That's the, the Giants and the Pirates, right? Maybe I like the Marlins better than most people do. Um, you know, the Rockies are going to be the Rockies. Uh, but yeah, the Padres have a lot of teams they got to get past to get to the wild card spot. And without, without bets, like, I don't know, I have a hard time seeing it happening. I feel like they're going to be good, but maybe like next year.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a, an, an interesting fact I had not realized when I was uh, reading a, a piece written by our Will Leach today is that A.J. Preller took over before midway through the 2014 season. So his first season as GM of the Padres was 2015, and that was the year they made the big splat. We have talked about this. Uptain, they got the Upton Cam- Cam- Kimbrell. Yep. They won 74 games this year, that year. That, year. Yeah. that is still the most the Padres have won under Preller god that's grim <laughs> so oh, like man like this was like this was going to be the year they did i mean last year they got machado the year before that they got Hosmer, which obviously hasn't worked out and they got machado this year they signed pomerance to a four-year drew yeah. to a four-year deal traded for fam traded for fam so there was already that okay we're really trying to hoping that a full season of Fernando testis jr would really kind of um take them up a notch i'm sort of surprised i'd be curious to know like what the conversations were in the, i'm sort of surprised that at the last minute based on that that the the Padres who have a much deeper farm system have like, you know, maybe the best farm system didn't actually kind of like block, uh, you know, like
0: just do it. They could they, they, have, like, they could have done, done it in a prospect sense. They could
1: have done a prospect sense. Oh, so. maybe,
0: I don't know. What if the Red Sox really wanted guys who are ready right now is, is Trent Grisham uh, better than Verdugo? Cause like Taylor Trammell is not ready right now.
1: So, yeah, and no, I guess it, I mean that's I guess that's probably you know that's a good point because that's it goes back to my point I made earlier in the podcast about Verdugo is like you know while the podcast all the prospects look kind of shinier and new none of them I mean Verdugo has had some success at the major league level and it's possible you know that the the, the Red Sox were insistent on that not not to not to mention um, the pitcher they got whose name I'm going to butcher <laughs> um, so I don't even want to say it <laughs> First, uh, uh, he's at least probably ready to come to to major yeah, exactly
0: contributing the bullpen right now for well for the Red Sox. Let's get to the Red Sox. Um I have a lot of friends in Boston and I can tell you it's like a funeral up there right now and I i think that's completely understandable. Um you do not find players like Mookie Betts very often and you obviously want to keep them for as long as you can uh and not trade them a week before spring training. You know the Red Sox still don't have a manager like when are they going to actually get a manager or have any dates? So that's been the weirdest part of this to me is we have no idea who's actually running this team. right now. Maybe they were kind of doing this as a favor to the new manager.
1: Basically like, we know we're going to trade bets. We want you to have to come in after. This. So you're to like, guess. Get, get introduced and deal with it just to, you know, but it's, it's weird because, you know, spring training pitchers and catchers report for most teams on like next Wednesday, February yeah. 12th. And we're now recording
0: this on February 5th. So I I have just, yeah, I have just so many thoughts about this situation. Like the Red Sox, obviously you have bets. You should do whatever you possibly can to keep him. They are the Red Sox. They have the money. There's no question about that. Uh, But also it seems like he was going to go to free agency no matter what. But then also the only reports we have about the contract offers were from Lou Marloni and no disrespect to Lou. He's not really like a Rosenthal type newsbreaker. So I don't know how much stock to put in any of that. Um, And I also feel like because, fans are so like angry about losing bets. It's kind of like spilled onto the guys that got back as being like, Oh, they got nothing. And that, that seems unfair. Those guys are actually really good. Um, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's weird to say this. I don't think the Red Sox are like terribly worse this year for the trade because it's not just like faraway prospects, right? So you lose bets that hurts no doubt. Um, but Verdugo is projected to be a three win player with a huge, if I'll get to in a second. Uh, and uh role, you know, could be an elite reliever right away. This hurts the Red Sox by, like, two to three wins. Uh, the problem is where they are is that two to three wins are, are huge. That is probably enough to knock them to the back of the wild-card race. Not out, I don't think, but down.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, going back to our, our, our trusty projections, which actually have them as, like, the fifth team nail right now, um, which is kind of surprising, but the the, the, the the steamer projections on fan graphs are still pretty bullish on Chris Sale, basically projecting him to be a 5-1 pitcher again, which is pretty optimistic considering how his season went, projecting, as you said, Verdugo to be a three-win player. People kind of forget that Rafael Devers and his Bogarts are both basically superstars
0: now. They were so good last year, both and, of them.
1: And so, you know, the, 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 this is now kind of – they're now the, the, the faces of this team. J.D. Martinez can still mash. The lineup is still – the lineup is still um, very interesting. The rotation, however, even if you buy into sale being – being Chris Sale again, his strikeout rate, even last year in a weird year, thirty six percent was still as good Crazy. as ever. Um, his velo was way down, but he still like when he kind of after that first disastrous month, and after that first disastrous month and before he got hurt, he sort of was like he kind of figured out how to dominate I'm, again. I'm
0: in. I had him as number ten on my top ten starting pitcher list. Um, Verdugo, however,
1: there were, there were
0: some maybe some questions about his health. Yeah, so he's a, he's a young guy, right? Uh, he strained his oblique like towards the end of last season, um, and then. You know, I think that was August 6th, and then he went on a, a rehab assignment and hurt his back and never came back. So he talked to Ken Gurnick, who is our Dodgers.com beat reporter. This is just a month ago, almost exactly one month ago, and I'm going to quote here. "Ferdugo went on to say that as he continues to rehab, he has not resumed any baseball activities. I don't know if that's changed over the last couple of weeks, uh, but that was in January. That is more than a little scary to me. Like He's a good player. He really is, but if he's not healthy... Um, then that's a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that might
1: be why it's taken a little while for make sure they've got to go over the medical reports to make sure that the Red Sox are completely confident. You know, if somehow this this this, this trade gets blown up by a medical report, well, you can forget
0: this podcast. Oh man, oh, man. could you imagine that? Betts <laughs> is actually going back to Red Sox report to Fort Myers next week. <laughs> um,
1: well, that would be something. One thing I found interesting when looking at the Red Sox um, outfield, I mentioned this earlier. They're going to have basically three left-handed hitting outfielders. Um, Andrew Benintendi in and left, Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, uh, presumably assuming this trade goes through. Alex Verdugo in right. Um, is it, it from a Statcast standpoint, Verdugo and Benintendi? There's a lot of similar. Like in many ways, they're like kind of the same guy. Yeah, but I don't like Benintendi. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lo- there's a lot of similarities. Um, last year, expected weight on base for Benintendi three forty, actual weight on base three thirty. For Verdugo, expected weight on base three thirty, actual weight on base three forty. Hard hit percentage: Benintendi thirty-seven point seven, Verdugo thirty-nine point three. Sprint speed: Benintendi twenty-seven point one, Verdugo twenty-seven point three. It's the profiles, in terms of just like left-handed hitting, not super fast, not a true slugger. Like there's a lot of similarities there. The biggest difference is that Verdugo doesn't really strike out. Um, in like the, in the modern, for like, at least for the for the modern hitter, his thirteen percent strikeout rate was in the top seven percent of the league, while. Benintendi's, you know, strikeout and walk rate rates are um basically much more quote unquote average. If you look at his baseball savant player page, you look at like, you know, players, you look at all their stats over the years, and it's pretty handy. They color code, you know, red for top of the league, um, blue for bottom of the league. Beninny has no colors. <laughs> it's like He's a good. What? He's a good. He's a good player. It's just interesting. He's like actually just very. He's a baseball survivor. Yeah. said. He. Well. He's very. Yeah. He's just very average or slightly above average. I, I'm not saying he's bad. Can I, throw a, actually,
0: can I throw a wrench in this? Yes. He may not have qualified. If he, if he's not a qualified player for these sets, he won't get a color. So it he's could, it could for, be that. has been around for a few years now. Sorry, I thought you were talking about Verduco. I'm, I'm talking sorry. about okay. um, so Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is is you said they're they're similar. Well, Attendee's now like three full years in his career, and Verdugo did this like in the first half of his rookie season. Like, I feel more confident Verdugo will improve. But was always supposed to improve and just sort of didn't, you know? My my one thing on Verdugo is if you look at his history, he's never, like, his his high watermark
1: for slugging um, was, like, 475 as a, as, a, as a pro player. So he's still young enough to improve. I feel like I feel like I, I worry about his ceiling, but he's I think he's a good player. Like, to your point before, it's like he's just so much less spectacular than bets that, like, it's going to feel the Red Sox fans like, oh, we got nothing.
0: Yeah. He's Man, still. Poor Verdugo <laughs> going out there in right field on opening day.
1: Yeah. So it's, wow. it's, it's, um, it, there's still going to be a, a good team. And I think the Red Sox are actually better or at least as good as. And then not are talking about the project, uh, you know, I think the, the projections are probably a little optimistic. Yeah. Just because I'd be, I'd probably be a little more skeptical of sale. They're still, in my opinion, though as good as or better than a lot of the teams that people are excited about, like the White Sox yeah.
0: and the A's. Like, Sure. I think these are teams that they're going to be in the same pack. But like, You start with Bogarts and Devers <laughs> and J.D. Martinez, you're in a good spot. So, um, I don't know if you if we've got our notes here on the table. Have you looked at my little note here about the Red Sox rotation? Because if you haven't, don't, right? Now you're looking at it right now. You're staring at it. I'm not like I can't okay. see anything. So the Red Sox rotation depth, Chris Sale, okay. Nathan Ivaldi, who I don't trust at all. Uh, 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 Rodriguez, who actually was really good last year. And uh, Martin Perez, who they signed as a free agent. Do you know who the fifth starter as listed on Fangriffs is right now? I do know. <laughs> I swear this is a real person who I don't think i would really ever heard of. Matt Hall. Who is that? He, apparently they traded for him from uh, pitching powerhouse Detroit last month. That's so scary. Like I like Sale and I like Cavalde. Uh, I don't trust either one to give you like the 400 combined innings you're going to need. And Martin Perez was good for like a half last year. And then he was really <laughs> lousy again.
1: There's just, there's still a few like Martín Perez types out there, which seems like they're probably going to bring Andrew in. Kashner. I mean, is I that think where Cal, they are?
0: Cal McHugh might be the best. Sure, might be
1: the best option. But that's that's the kind of that's the kind of player that's still out there on uh, out there in free agency. I do wonder if Jaime Bloom is going to bring the opener um, with him to Boston. Um, that he used that the Rays used to some success while He was there just because it's just something you you do with when you don't have a lot of pitching depth. When you don't have starting pitching depth, you go to the opener. And I think that's like the, the final point I want to make about the Red Sox. I think that like there's some irony here in the fact that essentially I think this is kind of the first step in Bloom kind of taking the Red Sox to where Friedman took the Dodgers a few years ago. We basically took a lot of the concepts that worked in Tampa and he brought them to a big market team. So like, well, yeah, right now um, uh, the Red Sox, the the fans are out with their pitchforks because they traded bets. We should be able to afford bets. I get all that. But if you look at what the Dodgers have done, the Dodgers have basically maintained a high payroll throughout Friedman's run there, but they've never really played in the deep end of the free agent pool. They've prioritized like roster flexibility and options over everything else. As you noted earlier, they're still below the competitive balance tax threshold even after adding Mookie Betts because they traded away because they're trading away Jack Peterson and they're trading away Ross Stripling. So to me, this is where the this is like the, the, the extension. This is where the Red Sox are going. Where you know even now the, you look at the Dodgers payroll. They have no one of consequence signed past 2021. Like they still have David Price, but he's half his his uh yeah. his his salary is being paid uh, by the Pollock. But he's making 12 million yeah, 12 million uh, 12 million a year. So it's like, you know, Bellinger's not locked up yet. Yeah. Betts is gonna be a free agent. I would say it's unlikely that he ends up re-signing in LA based on their MO um to this point. So I think it's just like this is this is this is the Red Sox are this is their first step in basically Emulating exactly what the Dodgers have done. Well,
0: so I, I hear that, and I, I think there's something to it. But here's the big difference, right? This is Bloom's first move. Friedman did not go to LA and trade Clayton Kershaw, like, <laughs> you know, like as his first move. Well, I imagine he took
1: the job knowing when he interviewed the job that this. I'm sure a big part of the interview process was, hey, there's a good chance we're going to trade Mookie Betts. Are you comfortable coming in? And or I should say I should say have to. We we're going. We think it's the right move for us for any number of reasons are you comfortable coming in and this being your first one?
0: I, I don't want to totally overlook Bruce star, uh, Gratterell, who like has an electric arm and there's a scenario where him, uh, Matt Barnes and Brandon Workman, I guess are a uh, really fun back end of the the, the bullpen. I uh, mean, maybe I don't know if the Red Sox will try to move him back to the rotation, but, and this is not my jokes. So I'm not going to take credit for it. How excited are you to hear Jerry Remy try to say <laughs> Bruce, Star because I know I am. Um, so that's it. That's like some huge news. And, uh, by the time we do another show, pitchers and catchers will be reporting, and maybe the Red Sox will have a manager, and maybe Chris Bryant will be traded. Um, like I've said on Twitter a couple of times, I don't know if this has been a good off season, but it hasn't been a boring one. <laughs> it's been a lot more fun than last year, I can tell you that. Uh, well said. That is our show for this week. Thank you for listening to the MLB.com StaffCast podcast. Catch you next time.
1: Okay, picture this.